Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, October 24th, we are studying Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1-14. to In today's text, the author of Hebrews contrasts the earthly tabernacle and its services to the heavenly sanctuary where Christ has entered by means of his own blood to secure an eternal redemption and a purified conscience for us. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Kyle Meetsner. Pastor Meetsner serves as a battalion chaplain with the 10th Mountain Division of the United States Army at Fort Drum, New York. Pastor Meetsner, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be back. So we get started today, Pastor. Give us some context. What should we know about the letter to the Hebrews and anything leading up to chapter 9 that'll help us with our text today? Hebrews is... Uh, well, as I was rereading this, it it kind of is it's got to be one of my favorite books. It has to be one of the best ones. Um, whoever wrote this, and uh, I know that kind of every every guest so far kind of takes their best guess at it. And uh, what's yours? Well, yeah, my guess is uh, I'm coming out of left field here, but I I think it might be the Apostle John. Um, that that is out of left field. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels in chapter nine, which we're covering today, which seem to me to have a lot of parallels to um, at least the prologue to the Gospel of John. And and there's actually a bunch of other things um, coming up in here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna you know uh, put a couple chips there on okay. uh, the Apostle John. So it I mean surely he knows all about this stuff in the temple, and and he's. Uh, steeped in Judaism uh, himself, and uh, uh, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, also, it doesn't really matter, um, totally, because this book is uh, so uh, thoroughly Christological. That's the thing about it, is that it is, it is so highly developed. Um, You have zero guesses here as to who Jesus really is. Um, it starts off with this beautiful thing that we use as uh, antiphon in uh, evening prayer, you know, that God spoke to his people of old in many and various ways, uh, but now he speaks to us through his son. So uh, if you want to hear God speaking to you, which is a unique thing with, with our God too, is that he does speak to us. Not all gods do speak to people. Um, but our God does. So if you want to hear God speaking to you, which I think everyone kind of does, then listen to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Like he is God speaking to you. And the the universal nature of, of Jesus um, is just over the top and on full display here in, in the uh, letter to the Hebrews. Um, yeah, it, it is this beautiful book that is going through um, all of this Old Testament stuff. Uh, he just assumes that you know all of this stuff, and, and so we kind of have some gaps that we need to fill in because 
I was not there 2,000 years ago. I never saw the temple. I've never even been to Jerusalem. Um, and and But he's like, it's all about Jesus anyways, just right. all of it. It is this just absolutely stupendous um, book. Yeah, just the totality of Christ and who he is. Uh, you see it elsewhere, I think, primarily uh, perhaps in, in Colossians, like the first chapter of Colossians, where where Paul says that Jesus is the beginning and the end, and he um, holds all things together, and the whole entire universe is upheld by Jesus. Yeah. Um, it It's amazing. Absolutely. So you mentioned the Old Testament, and that's certainly key for the book of Hebrews. Uh, what parts of the Old Testament do we need to pay attention to, especially when we think about chapter 9? Speaking about chapter 9, particularly he's talking about um, episodes towards the end of um, Exodus with the setting up of the tent, the tent of meeting. Um, it's really, there's just these beautiful things. Um, so when they're out in the middle of the desert and the Lord has brought them out of slavery in Egypt and they've been through, um, they've been through the Passover and they've been through the Red Sea and uh, the Lord says, like, hey, and, and now you're going to build me a tent and it's going to be in the middle of your uh, settlement. And remember, there's, I don't, I don't remember exactly the number of people out there in the wilderness during the Exodus, but it's, I mean, it's, it's hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have this massive tent city moving across the wilderness. And in the middle of it, every time they stop is the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And um, Moses goes in there and, and speaks to God. Um, and, and this is where, this is where this chapter takes place. And it's an interesting thing too, because whenever whoever is writing this, um, is writing it, we don't, I don't know what anyone else has thought yet, but you kind of have a question is, is this written before or after the destruction of the temple, um, in, in Jerusalem, which happens in 70 AD. Um, but he never says like, and it's gone. You know, he's describing what goes on in there. There's some things that seem like maybe it had already happened, but it seems like he doesn't really differentiate between the tabernacle and the temple that is built in Jerusalem. Um, So nonetheless, though, there is a place where God came to meet the people, and we know that God doesn't need a house. Uh, He doesn't doesn't need that. He does that for us. Uh, He says... Clearly, these people need to see that I'm here. These people need to know where to meet me. Uh, you think about this in Genesis. God kind of like shows up places. And to us, it looks fairly random. Uh, he will he will come to talk to Noah. And he's like, Noah, you're going you're gonna to build this ark. And then and that's it. Uh, we're not told that God is there, like coaching him on how to how to hew the gopher wood and stuff like that. Noah is just told to build this ark because there's going to be a flood, and so he does. And it's it's like a hundred years or something from the time he starts building the ark till when when it actually starts raining, and 
it it but God sees that we do need to see this more than once every few decades. And you think of Abraham too, right? Like they're not walking together all the time. God comes periodically to talk to him and to um, establish or to renew covenants with him. Um, and you know, and he comes in kind of strange ways sometimes. Sometimes he's going to come and wrestle with you and and dislocate your hip. And sometimes he's going to come to you in the form of three people and you're going to have a big banquet with him. But, um, but God knows that we, we need to be able to find him. We need to know where he is. And so he says, Hey, I'm going to be in the middle of you. I'm going to set up my tent. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch my tent there in the middle of you, um, when we're going around and you're going to see me all the time. There's going to be a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And, and if you're wondering if I'm there, just look to the tent, look to the pillar, look look to the, the ark that's going out in front of you. I'm there. I'm here with you. So he does these things all for us, and, and that's where this, this chapter takes place. Okay. And, so, and, and in all of that, then, he's going to show us in this chapter how Christ fulfills and is better than what was there, as good as it was, and, and for all that it did do, it was incomplete, and Christ has come now, and so... If you again to go back to where the the letter starts, if you want to listen to God now, if you want to know where He dwells among you now, look to Christ because He's fulfilled what was there. He's made complete what was incomplete previously. Totally, and and He does end uh, chapter eight by talking about this. He says, "Well, the first covenant ha- is becoming obsolete." <laughs> uh, you think about when things become obsolete, like. You you don't you don't use them anymore, and um, so you still have an iPod lying around somewhere, right? I sure thing. do. I have the iPod Classic, and it it's amazing. I can't believe they stopped making it. <laughs> but, but nobody event- buys those anymore, except you, maybe. Yeah, and eventually it won't work, and right. there won't be anything to replace it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now take, we're going to, that's a very silly example, but the first covenant obsolete. Now Christ has an eternal better one for you. That's all in the context. Let's go ahead and take a look at this text from Hebrews chapter nine, beginning at the first verse. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, The priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, 
regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That is our text for today. That's Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. So Pastor meets in those first, what, 10 verses, that's where the author describes both the building itself, the tent and its furnishings, as well as the services that happen in that tent. So let's start with the building itself, the tent, its furnishings. I mean, we could spend the whole time just on these furnishings, I imagine, but but help us with that that section. What's being described here, and what do we need to know? So, it, right, he's describing the, uh, the tent, the tabernacle, the temple. Um, and it's also worthy to note that when they do actually um, get around to building the temple in Jerusalem, uh, it's essentially just recreating the tabernacle, uh, which is a tent, So, but they're doing it with stones. Um, and again, remember this too, is that God did not ask them to build this. It's something that uh, we need. David says, um, hey, Lord, I noticed that I've got a really nice house and you live in a tent. Um, uh, how about I build you something nicer? And in the Lord says to David, he's like, look, did I ask you to build me a tent? Do I need that? No, I don't. You can't build it. Uh, but his son Solomon uh, eventually is, is allowed and, and even commanded to build um, this tent. So yeah, sorry, temple out of stone. But yeah, so there is the structure of the thing, and then there's what goes on in it. And uh, let's see. So when we start off, too, we have to remember what is this temple. So the first covenant has regulations for worship. Um, and I love this because uh, we still have regulations for worship. We still have the same God. Um, orderly worship is super important, right? We are not just kind of making things up. Um, God has actually established this, this liturgy, this divine service where we receive his gifts and his covenant. So when our Lord Jesus Christ institutes um, the, the Holy Eucharist, it's not an accident that he uses this, this word in that first verse. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant. So there's an old covenant. Now, when we think about covenants, um, I, we think of like an agreement between two people. Uh, I will do this and then you will do this in return, and we will shake hands on it, and uh, there you go. But what is the covenant that the Lord establishes with his people? What is the covenant that Jesus establishes with us? He just says, this is my body. This is my blood. Eat it, drink it for the forgiveness of your sins. 
as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And it's this, all he's doing is making promises to us that he's going to fulfill these things. He says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Okay. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to do it uh, through this, this blood. That's another thing that's interesting to me is how much blood is in this whole chapter. Um, right. And in, in even, I mean, in the whole Old Testament too, right? Um, but there's an interesting phrase too that he uses here in, in, in verse 1 again. He says that there is an earthly place of holiness, an earthly place. Now, in, in the Greek, he uses this word that is kind of like, I didn't actually think about this too much, but he uses this word cosmicon, and uh, not comicon, but cosmicon, and and it comes from this word cosmos. And so we usually think of like when we talk about the cosmos, it, it's like outer space or something like that. But it's this this Greek word that has broad implications. That uh, it is the whole created order. It is everything that is. So God has established um, this this place of His covenant, um, this earthly place, this place that is. Uh, it is it is made up of the same thing that we are, which is good news. That holiness can be in this world, um, and and we see this in the Athanasian Creed. My favorite thing ever is um, it's it's very moving. I think that uh, that that humanity is not um, Christ does not descend into humanity, but humanity is lifted up into divinity in the incarnation. So when Jesus takes on human flesh, when t- Jesus takes on the stuff of this world, it is redeeming the stuff of this world. And so this is where we're starting from, um, and. There, we often fall into this dichotomy that the Old Testament is bad, right? And the New Testament is good. And it's not like that at all. It's it's all God's provision of, of forgiveness and, and love and mercy for all these things that he's created. So it's, it is really good news that there is, it is possible that this thing comes into the world and takes on the stuff of this world. And again, going back to what I said about John. Like John uses this word too, sure. and 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 Jesus says the life of the world is my flesh, and and that I am the light of the world, um, of the cosmos, the whole entire thing, the universe. As much as we can grasp how tiny all of this is, and how just gigantic all of this is. Um, you know, some of our listeners might be worried when they, uh, whenever new like scientific discoveries come out, and um, we just continue to find out how expansive the world is, um, the whole entire cosmos, and and it's all created by God, and He has come to redeem this whole entire thing. So in the tent, in the in the ta- the temple, there's two places. Like you got two spots, right? You got the uh, the first section, as he calls it, which uh, where people can go and they can see in there. Um, Josephus, um, our buddy who uh, describes the destruction of Jerusalem, he talks about this at length in, in his book, uh, The Jewish Wars. 
and uh, and it, and you can tell that he's been there and he's seen it. Uh, he talks about the the interior of this place, the the tapestries, these like hanging carpets, and there's like these deep colors in them, and there's the there's constellations sewn into these things. Um, he he says that they have all the symbols of the zodiac in there, so they're the twelve these twelve constellations, and we don't we don't like see these things anymore, so we don't really think about them. But think about a world that doesn't have artificial light, and they look up into the stars, and that's what they do for fun. And they're like, well, these things kind of look like uh, twins or whatever it is, or a crab. Um, and and so these things are sewn into the the curtains in the temple, and Josephus sees these things, and they're just amazing. And and what's more, uh, not only are they sewn into the the curtains of the temple, but the the priest who goes in there also wears robes. Uh, that look exactly like the curtains of the temple. Um, and so yeah, our churches uh, are kind of arranged the same way. And you can think about this in a lot of churches now too. Um, so you'll have some sort of uh, cloth on an altar and then a pastor will be wearing uh, matching clothes. And it's this just beautiful thing. And what's going on in there, in, in this first section that everyone can see, um, he, it seems like the doors are open and you can see in there. And, um, uh, I, I don't really know how they lit this stuff, but maybe people had better eyesight back then or something, but I, I don't really know. But, uh, there's a couple things in there. There's, there's a lampstand, which looks like a, what we would know as a menorah. And then there's a table with a bunch of bread on it with 12 loaves of bread. And, um, this is, this is one of my uh, favorite things that's in the temple because you don't just have these like candles burning. You've got loaves of bread. It's really interesting. 12 of them. What do they do with this? It's called the show bread. It's called the bread of the presence. Um, there's this, this wonderful thing. Um, during the three principal feasts uh, where people go to Jerusalem, um, Three times a year, the priest comes out with this bread that he's talking about here, and he holds it up, and he says, Behold, God's love for you to all the people who are gathered out there. It's this amazing thing. Um, and those of us who believe in Jesus, love Jesus, who know now about Holy Communion, about the Holy Eucharist, we're like, well, yes, duh, we, we can connect these dots really well. And that's kind of what the the author is doing here. He's he is he's kind of nerding out on all the stuff that's going on um, in the temple. Um, let's see. So we've got the the first part where everyone can see this stuff going on. There's this bread and there's uh, the menorah, and then there's a second curtain with the second section, the most holy place. And in there, there's a, an altar of incense. There is the Ark of the Covenant and uh, this box that's covered in gold. And on the, the inside of this box are signs, again, of God's provision and love for his people. Um, you've got an urn which holds the manna right there. All of it is gone except for this stuff that they put in the Ark. So they can always remember this. They say, oh, yeah. That's right. He fed us for 40 years in the wilderness and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And I tell you what, 
the dimensions of these things to me is I have no clue how big any of this stuff is, how big the Ark of the Covenant is. I, I'm sure that you and like some of our listeners spent a lot of time in Sunday school making like a shoebox sized uh, craft Ark of the Covenant with the little like paper angels on top of it. And then you spray paint it gold or whatever. But this thing is huge. Um, it's it's really big and it's really heavy. It's really impressive. And on top of it are these angels, the cherubim. Um, and it's it's this just wonderful thing. Uh, but that's what's in there. Now here's, we have this idea that it's this kind of secret place that no one can know anything about. Um, but but think about this. There's no secrets here in uh, in the Lord's love for his people. And there's no secrets with, with the Ark of the Covenant even. It's kind of mysterious to us now because no one has seen it in uh, at least like 2,500 years. Right. Uh, we don't know where it is. We've all, you know seen this movie where it's just like in some vault but it was gone way before that you know we don't know where it is it's, it's fascinating it's fun to think about um but uh this the ark of the covenant though it's it's there um in the the holy of holies and one man once a year goes in there and only on the day of atonement on yom kippur yom kippur um it's on your calendar probably and um it's, but then think about this: the, the tabernacle is a temporary building. When they go on the move, they take it down. The people see this; like we're not hiding anything right. from anyone. Right. That that what strikes me, you know, is is other religions have like progressive mysteries that get revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to get to the thirty third degree, and then it, wear this special thing. Like we're putting it all out there. We're like. You want to know what's going on in the Holy of Holies? Well, I mean, here it is. Um, right, right. So I think I think though. I mean, right. You're not. It's you're right. It's not a secret, but the the access to it, you you don't just walk up to these things. No. And, and touch the holy things. And I think that's kind of. I mean, that's going to be part of the key to what Jesus has done in opening the way. Then these these things that were certainly known. Yes. But the access was was limited, and you need to to approach them in the in a certain type of holiness. Jesus is going to have something better than all of that in in what he's done. So let's let's pick up more of those thoughts on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Kyle Meetsner this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 24th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 14 with Pastor Kyle Meetsner. He is a battalion chaplain with the 10th Mountain Division of the United States Army at Fort Drum, New York. Pastor Meetsner, prior to the break, we were talking about the fact that what happens in the tabernacle is known to the people of Israel. It's not a secret, but access isn't always available because you can't just approach God's holiness. He has to give it to you. And so we're talking about what's in the tabernacle, the building itself. The author of Hebrews in verse 6 starts then to talk about what happens in these two places, the holy place, the most holy place. Take us into that section, verses 6 and following. Perfect. So uh, remember, one guy once a year goes into the Holy of Holies on on the Day of Atonement. Um, Interestingly, I was recently on a a flight uh, from New York to Munich, and there were a bunch of uh, Jewish people who were who were actually going to Jerusalem for Yom Kippur, and mm-hmm. um, I've never seen anything like it. Um, oh. But, uh, anyways, people are still doing this, even though there's no temple. Um, and you know, it's like they're always like so close, right? And you're like, oh, I just want you to like read Hebrews yeah. or something. Yeah, that's um, right. but. Uh, yeah, so one guy once a year, and when he goes in, he takes this blood. Um, he and he goes in, and he he sprinkles the altar, and he pours the blood on the altar, and and he uh, burns this this sacrifice. Um, now on the Day of Atonement, it's it's a special one. It's 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 amazing. So you take you take the you have two goats. Um, listeners didn't know we were going to goats this fast, but here we go. The goats. So you take one goat and you sacrifice it and it's a whole burnt offering. You just, you burn the whole thing. Um, Not all the sacrifices in, in the old Testament are whole burnt offerings. Um, When I was a kid, I, I used to think that um, what we did with the offerings in church, I thought that the elders would just take them back into the parking lot and burn them after the service. I was like, cause all I knew was like whole burnt offerings in, in the old Testament. You're like, this is why we're like giving them paper money. Um, and you know, the smart people write checks because they burn it before they can cash it. But, um, so it, anyways, this is a whole burnt offering. Normally the priests get to eat the, the, the offerings, um, the bread that's in there. This is, this goes to the priest's family. Um, it's, and again, it's like not a secret or anything. They just know this is how, this is how we feed the priests. The Lord has given us these priests and we provide for them. But then you have this whole burnt offering. The goat is just gone, reduced to ashes. But then there's another goat that you, the priest comes up to the, this other goat and he puts the sins of the people onto this goat. And then they send the goat, the scapegoat out into the wilderness, uh, to just go off and die. 
And and so the idea behind all this is that your sins are being destroyed, right? Either by this burning or by this being put on something else and being sent out outside the gates. And we see the same thing. Our sins are not our own. Like you cannot have your sins. They have been taken from you. They have been put onto Jesus uh, and your sins have been given to him. He has been sent outside the gate. He has been uh, crucified. Your sins are on him. They're not on you. He's taken them away from you. But but this is this is what's going on. This is what uh, they're talking about here in these this middle section of our reading today, is that just they just do this once a year too. It's a it's a very special thing. Um, there's all of this fasting around it. Now, since there's no temple in Jerusalem anymore, they they don't do any of this stuff. There's no high priest anymore either. Uh, there hasn't been since the destruction of of the temple. Um, if they build another one, which is the goal of some people, uh, then they'll find another high priest, and, and I think they'll start these things up again. Um, but we know that it will it will all be for naught. This is not how it works anymore. There is a new covenant, um, a better covenant. Uh, so there, there, there's just this this wonderful thing that. The holiness of of the the priest. Um, he even talks about this. He's he's like, and you never get quite there. Yeah, you can't do it on your own. A- according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. You're always wondering, uh, was the animal perfect enough? Was I sincere enough? You look at these things and, you know, was the lamb really spotless? Was was this heifer, was it really red? Or, or, were, was it good enough? I don't know. You, you cannot, you, if you measure these things in all sincerity, your answer will always be no. I cannot get uh, to perfection. There's a wonderful thing here, too, uh, that we as Reformation Christians love. I've never seen this before, but in verse 10, he says that these things deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. They're imposed until the time of Reformation. It is the month of October, people. This is Reformation (laughs) month. Um, That's right. And now, I don't really know what this word means. Um it's one of these hop ox legomena, like only happens once words. Um, but uh, in the way that Luther translates it into the German is like putting things right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in, in the Greek, it does, it has this word, uh, this uh, uh, ortho. So making things right, setting things at right. And um, it's almost a justification word too, right? Mm-hmm. Cause justification is, um, again, setting things right, making sure that things are righteous. Uh, and, and so he's like, all of these things are going to kept going on until this time when things are set right. And, and what is that time that all things are, are being, um, uh, put to right and reformed. It's, it's glorious. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I think, you know, he, you see it pretty clearly, even in the English of verse 11, that there's this transition, but when Christ appeared. Right? So the, the key transition is the appearance of Christ. And, and we've heard him talk a lot about Christ as high priest already. Now he's going to talk about Christ as high priest and how he enters into not this earthly tabernacle to offer earthly service, but we're going to start talking about entering into a heavenly tabernacle to offer eternal service. So help us into this very key section of our passage, beginning there at verse 11. Yeah, and it's interesting in the Greek, of course, it just it doesn't start off with but Christ, but it just starts off, Christ! Oh, yeah. he's, he's... There he is! Christ appeared! Uh, we were waiting for this thing, and then Christ appeared. Um, and he, he, he comes and he, he goes into this thing. Um, again, remember this, that, that Jesus, when he appears, he's not a ghost. Uh, he's not some spirit. Um, he is, uh, thoroughly one of us. Uh, he is one with, with all of creation. And so, and so you think about that, that is kind of the miracle here, um, is that he is bringing all of this along um, with him uh, into this greater and more perfect tent, this tabernacle, and uh, and and w- when we think about this too, with with John one and this beautiful word, it's the same word for tent, you know, that John talks that the the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the word became flesh and literally pitched its tent. Among us, um, the skin, eh? the skin. Here he is, um, and and it is not made with hands, but but God has made this. Um, and and what happens with all of this? Well, it's not by the means of the, the blood of of the bulls and the calves, and it's it's not anything we were doing, uh, because all these things that we're doing. And you think about this too. You know, when we meet these Old Testament saints. Are, are they going to be like, ah, oh, we were just wasting our time that whole time with all those sacrifices? You know, you you read again in Josephus about the rivers of blood during uh, Passover just streaming out from the temple. Uh, are we going to meet these people and they're like, come on, were we wasting our time? Well, no. In fact, that was all pointing towards Christ. And in some sense, even, you can think about this, like, that is the blood of Christ that that is flowing, and it's all looking forward to Christ as we are looking, um, I don't want to say backwards to Christ, because in looking backwards to Christ, we're also looking forward uh, to the, the life of the world to come. Um, it, it turns out that time is not as strictly linear as we have um, thought that it is. And you, and you see this, right, that the this Eastern way of thinking is not that we get from here to there, but there is everything is here, um, and and it's it's all here uh, in in Jesus Christ. Um, and how does he do this? Again, it's not by all these other sacrifices, um, but by his own blood, his own blood. Yeah, uh, this blood that that comes from from Mary and that comes from God. And it is, it's, it's amazing. 
Um, yeah, I, 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 I think what you're getting at there is something that I was reflecting on too. That when when it talks about that, this comes through His own blood. You see the the, the two natures in Christ very clearly there. That what what is it about this blood that's so important? Well, this is divine blood. This is the blood of God that has done this. And so you see very clearly the you know the two natures in Christ and the importance that we confess that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine at the same time. Yes, and. Honestly, uh, I know that we read all of these things in seminary, and I know that I learned the three uh, genera of of the communication, the attributes, and all these things, and and it kind of makes my head hurt a little bit, and that's fine. Um, how does the two natures of Christ? He is God and man, um, but but one Christ, of course. There are not two Christs. Um, there's just one. Um, it's it's amazing. Uh, and so I think that if people are confused by that, that's fine. All right. Um, really smart people have been wrestling with this for a very long time. But it is interesting. That is how God's blood, uh, I guess, can actually be flowing through the veins of Jesus and also upon our altars. Because it is, it is, uh, it is human and it is divine. Um, and now here's the thing, too, is that he doesn't. He doesn't do any of this for himself purely, does he? Right. Uh, he does this for you. He does this. Uh, he he gives it to you. And and again, this this happens in the Old Testament too. With with again the covenant, this diatheke, that uh, Moses comes down and and establishes the blood, this this covenant in the name of the Lord and throws this blood on the people and they throw the blood on the altar and there's so much blood. It's just kind of everywhere. And we remember this from Leviticus too, that the life is in the blood and um, here it is. Now we think about kind of our two huge sacraments. Um, You and I know that like, we don't care about numbering the sacraments. There could be two, there could be, seven i don't know it's all good but um the reason why we put such emphasis on holy baptism and on the lord's supper is because these are the these are the blood ones this is where the blood is given to you um it's interesting to now lutherans we i have only sprinkled people uh with baptism, baptism. Yeah. uh we're not particular about how it's done but uh, there is something to this. Um, sprinkling with blood, sprinkling with the blood of Christ, okay? Um, and this is what holy baptism is. We're clothing you in the blood of Jesus uh, that, that gives life. And we're eating and drinking uh, the body and the blood of Jesus, which, which gives life. This whole entire thing here. And you think about this high priest going into this holy place. You are being made holy. You are being forgiven. This love and this mercy uh, is being being given directly to you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And this, so this blood being sprinkled on you, maybe just talk briefly about the, this secures, as you said, it's for you, and it secures for you an eternal redemption. I think that's one of the key contrasts between what had happened under the old covenant and what Christ does 
is that the repetition that was happening over and over again in the Old Covenant, Christ now has done eternally, once for all. It's an eternal redemption that he gives. Yes, once for all. And that is this huge phrase that is, it's it's really something that we need to grapple with and, and to grasp that he does this once and for all. You'll get into this in, in chapter 10 later, but um, I just want to read a little bit from the Apology, the Augsburg Confession. This comes up every once in a while, whether you are um, a, a strict Calvinist who believes in limited atonement or you're someone who uh, believes in uh, only subjective justification. Uh, it, here's, here's the deal. The, the book of Hebrews is presenting Christ as a universal Savior. Um, and, and, and we're scared of universalism, of course, because that could mean that just like everyone's in and everyone's forgiven. Um, but like, this is what Jesus is doing. He's not coming just for some people. This is for the whole entire creation. Um, everyone in it, uh, check this out from, from, uh, article 13 on the number and use of the sacraments, um, which again, we refuse to say whether there are two or seven or five or whatever is fine. Um, we, we, we confess, we teach that the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross was sufficient for the sins of the entire world and that there is no need for additional sacrifices as though Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient for our sins. Therefore, human beings are justified, not on account of any other sacrifice except the one sacrifice of Christ, when they believe that they have been redeemed by that sacrifice. Here ends the reading, but th and this is one reason why um, Lutherans tend not to call their pastors priests, too, because we're doing a very different thing here than what they were doing in the Old Testament. Um, and they go on, they say, Thus priests are not called to offer sacrifices for people as in Old Testament law, so that through them they might merit the forgiveness of sins for the people. Instead, they are called to preach the gospel and to administer the sacraments to the people. Uh, we don't have another priesthood like the Levitical priesthood, as the epistle to the Hebrews more than sufficiently teaches. So once for all, and it's interesting, so everything they're doing in the Old Testament, it's they have to do it all the time because they keep sinning all the time and they have to keep making these sacrifices in order to um, atone uh, with, with God. Uh, but what we're saying here is that the priests in the Old Testament were doing these things and, and, and they're all good, uh, but they are, they are trying to work for the forgiveness for the people. And now the forgiveness has, has happened. And what we do now is we are, we are handing that out to you. All right. Uh, Jesus has come to save the whole entire world. And this is given to you individually, specifically when you believe this, when you have been given the gift of faith, right? Uh, which again is not something that you have come, come upon just by yourself. This is something that is purely and wholly given to you. Um, you know, as, as Luther uh, said his last words, right? We're all beggars. This is true. We're all beggars. And this is great that the Lord uh, is rich in mercy and love and forgiveness for who? Well, for for the whole entire world. And 
and for you in particular. And so, and this is how this works, is that you hearing this right now, this is the working of faith in you. This is, this is God actually choosing you and saying, all of that, all of that, it's, it's for you. I did this exactly for you. It's beautiful. I, it's, almost, it's almost too much. And that's what I love about this book, again, is that yeah. it is, it's extreme. And it, it's like he just found this out, and he just put all the pieces together. Um, yeah, so there he is. He's like, yeah. how much yeah, more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Luther goes so far to say that without Christ, one does not serve the living God. <laughs> and he says, even our good works done outside grace or sin. Oh, and do you want to serve a dead God or do you want to serve the living God? Yeah. Jesus. That's right. That's what that's what makes the difference is what Christ has done. And there's you know, there, there's a that contrast within verses 13 and 14. The, the blood of the goats and the bulls, the sprinkling that happens, that sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. This blood of Christ, given through the eternal Spirit, purifies consciences, not just the flesh, but purifies consciences. Talk a little bit about that purification of the conscience that happens through Christ. So our conscience, we can think, you often think of, the, of your conscience as that voice in your head that tells you right from wrong. When the Bible uses this word, uses this word conscience, uh, it is about man standing before God, um, which I, I think at the end of the day, uh, every single human being grapples with this. Um, you can tell from the creation, and this is Romans 1, that there is a God. You can tell that. And you wonder, am I right with that God, the God of this creation? How does he feel about me? I can, I can try and be a good person. Maybe that will satisfy this God. Maybe that will make this God love me. Is, is that good enough? And again, if you're really honest with yourself, the answer is no, I'm not a good person. <laughs> uh, no one is a good person. Uh, no one. No, not one. Um, but here's the thing that this blood of Christ that is sprinkled upon us that is uh, that we are bathed in that we consume for our life it purifies your conscience okay you wonder how your standing is before god uh you're holy and you're perfect and and you've been clothed in righteousness um how does god feel about you well god loves you and and god has forgiven you everything why? Well, for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ, his blood, his blood is perfect. He is this perfect sacrifice that, that has been made once for all. I mean, you, you, you cannot get past that. It's, it's, there it is. And this is good news. Um, he has come to redeem all of it. Uh, and, 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 and again, specifically you, and that's why his blood is given particularly to you. So do not fret and worry about how God feels about you. He loves you. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's only in that sort of purified conscience that comes through the blood of Christ offered once for all 
it is only there that we can serve the living God, because only. otherwise, yeah, the, otherwise the the service that we would offer to God isn't well. It's it's self it's self service. It's it's trying to work our way up the ladder, you know, to a, to a God who, as you said earlier, in in other religions, it's not a given that that God will speak to you. And so, if if He's not going to speak to you, well, how do you get right with Him? You you have to do something. And it's only when you've got that purified conscience through the blood of Christ that you can truly serve Him in in real freedom. Otherwise, it's it's just bondage. And so it is it is only through Christ that you can serve the living God. We've got about two minutes here, Pastor Meester. Help us to to wrap things up. Maybe maybe take us off on on that thought more and, and wrap things up this morning. Sure. Yeah, I was thinking about this. It's like uh, the question often comes then, like, so I don't have to earn my salvation. When people hear about this kind of radical forgiveness, they say, so I can do anything I want then? And and again, we know the right answer is, well, why do you want to know? But uh, there it is. It's like, why serve God? Is it is it for merit? Is it so that you can get more points with him? Well, no. Is, is that why we serve people? Why do I serve my children? Uh, why do I serve my wife? Why do I serve all of these these soldiers um, that the Lord has has um, somehow called me uh, to serve? Um, you just you just do it because it's what the Lord has given you to do. It takes, I mean, honestly, it takes out all the fear uh, from from this, right? It kind of unleashes you to actually go out there and and love people and to serve them. Uh, because you know uh, for sure that that things are good with you and the Lord of the whole entire creation, the whole thing. Like he's on your side. Uh, you're kind of invincible because Christ is raised from the dead, and that's been given to you. And so what? Do, I mean, what are you going to do with that? You're just going to be like afraid all the time? Well, no that that be that'd be silly. Um, because you have been freed again to serve the living God. Yeah. He lives even now. He is raised from the dead. He he was put to death for our sins and trespasses, and he is raised for your justification. And he even today is seated at the right hand of God, uh, as as one of us. You know, there he is. Absolutely. The one who has shed his blood on your behalf, the once for all sacrifice to purify your conscience so that you can serve the living God in true faith. Pastor Kyle Meetsner is a battalion chaplain with the 10th Mountain Division of the United States Army at Fort Drum, New York. He has been helping us today to study Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Meetsner, thanks for being our guest today. You're so welcome. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews 9, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.